everybody. It's great to have you with us tonight and hope you've had a wonderful week. have a few announcements I want to make before we get started. Um, please pay attention. I'll not go over them again and some of them aren't in the bulletin yet so just jot them down if you need to. These are points of reference. One has to do with some golden circle announcements. We have a group that's going to the World Evangelism Headquarters in Winona on Friday. The bus is going to leave the annex at 8 a.m. Now, I know we intend to leave at 8 because it's going to be a long day. And listen, I, 
I'm just saying, we went to go eat breakfast the other day. Someone missed getting on the bus by like one minute. They were actually sitting in the parking lot, getting out of the car, walk, no mercy. Just drove right off. Poor thing had to drive herself to the meal. So I don't know if you want to drive all the way to Winona, but if you don't, you be here at eight o'clock. Be here before eight o'clock and get on that bus. If you're planning to go and you have one of the work shirts wearing the blue logo shirt, if you don't have that, just wear one that has one of our church logos on it if you, if you can. If you don't have that, wear something tasteful and nice. There's also a Golden Circle Luncheon on Tuesday, March the 9th. It will be at 1130. It's a potluck, so bring your favorite dishes. Also, keep Martha Eaton in your prayers. She had really what is corrective surgery on her foot and ankle yesterday or day before yesterday. And she is in excruciating pain. Just remember her and Harold as she's going through this. But uh, like James said today, at least this is a correction. So she's hopeful, right, that once this heals that she'll be feeling much better. And we really sympathize with her and the pain she's dealing with right now. Okay, so I think today at 5 o'clock, the governor of Mississippi, along with the governor of Texas, decided that there's no longer a mask mandate and no more restrictions in restaurants and businesses. It is just a free-for-all for COVID-19. Yay! Well, the elders just want to remind you that even though there is a lifting of restrictions so far as Mississippi governor is concerned, we're still encouraging our members to wear the masks and just be considerate of one another as we have been doing. And that especially pertains to our 8.30 and 10.30 services on Sunday. The 8.30 service will continue to be a mask service, and then the 10.30 will be an optional service, although it's encouraged. So, you know, please, please be patient with all of this. We're wanting to create a safe environment. And we still have members that, you know, are very, very tentative about returning for fear of catching the virus. So please, at least for the time being, observe those things. All right, we're going to sing a song together that I think pertains to our study, number 643. After we sing that, we'll have our prayer, and then we'll begin our Bible study together. 
together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for beauty of today. Thank you for this time that we can be together here and to study another portion of your word, to be encouraged again from your scriptures as to the things we must do as your church. Thank you, Father, for this fellowship here in Boonville for this family of yours. And I pray, Lord, that in our activities together and our joining together for the spread of the gospel, that our relationships will just get closer and closer. Father, we have a lot of people here who are suffering with their health, and we're praying for their recovery. Some of them are here tonight, and... I pray you'll continue blessing them. We ask, Lord, in a special way that you will bless Martha Eaton as she's recovering from this surgery and for the, the misdiagnosis that she had for so long that really contributed to all of this. Lord, we're praying that the surgery she had is going to correct the problem with her feet and that she will finally be on a road to recovery. And we pray, Lord, that as the doctors have shared with her a positive outlook, that it will encourage her, and she really will finally have some hope in regard to her own health. Lord, I pray that you will be with us tonight as we study your word together. And help us, help us to be people who truly are sowing the seed of the kingdom. Help us to, each of us, examine ourselves in that regard and find some way that we can participate in that great work and for the, the bounty that you promise as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, one of the things that we must do as the church is we must sow the seed. Sowers sow seed. <laughs> it seems kind of silly, but when Jesus talks about the sower going forth to sow, that's no joke. The full story is actually recorded in several places. I'm referencing the book of Luke chapter 8, you'll find it in two different parts in that text. One part of it's verses 5 through 8. That's the story itself, the parable. And then the second part is Jesus's explanation of it, verses 11 to 15. So the story goes this way, that this sower, he goes out to sow, and as he's spreading out his seed, the seed lands 
on four very different locations. Now, I understand that in the time of Jesus, they didn't, they didn't sow seed like we do. We tend to have a straight row. We're very efficient with our seeds that way. But sowers during this time just basically broadcast the seed. So as this sower is broadcasting an abundance of seed, some of it apparently goes by the wayside. Now, whether that is an area beyond what normally would have been harvested or whether it is a well-worn path that the sower is on, the result would be the same. And that is, as it is gone by the wayside, it really bears no fruit simply because it never becomes engaged. And so the Bible describes it as being trampled upon. It's pushed down, literally. And as a result, it's good for nothing but basically the birds to eat. In Jesus' explanation, he describes that as a person who has heard the word, but it really really makes no impact on them. It makes no connection. And because that person doesn't believe, because the word doesn't implant itself in their heart, just as the birds would take the seed from the sower's yield, so Satan takes the seed of God's word out of that prospective disciple's heart. Really no chance, because they never gave the word of God a chance. The second situation that's described is where the seed lands on some rock. Now, the seed begins to grow. It's not inhibited by anything, but there is no soil. And so since that seed and its growth is exposed to the sun, the Bible says that it withers because it has no moisture in it. When Jesus talks about it in terms of explanation, he says that seed actually had no root at all. In other words, that person believed, but it never really became planted strongly in them, and they were easily given sway to their temptations, and they fell away. The third piece of property that the seed lands on is actually some viable land, dirt that cultivates growth, yet it's inhabited by thorns. And Jesus simply describes the prospect of that seed growing, that it ultimately is choked. And when he describes the situation for one who has the seed of God in their heart, yet not firmly planted, the result is that it is choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Finally, Jesus describes seed that falls on good soil. And when it does that, it springs up and its roots are planted good in that ground and it bears fruit. In fact, he says it does so a hundredfold. That is seed that's planted in a heart that results in fruit being born. Now, the key to all of this actually is kind of the transitional statement in verse 11 of Luke chapter 8. He said, this is the parable right here. The seed is the word of God. You and I are to be sowers of the word of God. 
You and I, in fact, are to be those people who go about spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. Spreading the seed of God's word everywhere we go. I think there's a a terrific example of that in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. It seems like the church had pretty well been anchored there in Jerusalem. You have the apostles and elders there. You have a group of men who are tending to the needs of the body. A lot of people, a lot of work being done, but a lot of comfort as well. God's plan was not just to have the church in Jerusalem. And so he nudges members of the church to go on out into the world as he had planned by means of persecution. But what we hear in this verse is that they weren't squashed in their faith. In fact, persecution and difficulty actually escalated their faithfulness so that as they were going, the Bible says that they were preaching the word. Since the word of God is the seed that we're sowing, you understand just by that one illustration that God is expecting for us as we go to be preaching the word. So I want us to think tonight in terms of what we must do in sowing the seed to understand how some of that goes. For instance, we need to be sowing the right seed. I say it that way because of a principle that the Bible describes for us from the very beginning. It is a principle that you will understand. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, in the midst of all the things that are being created, God makes the point that the fruit tree brings forth fruit after its own kind. And then he makes the point that the seed is in itself. The seed of the fruit is in itself. I've pondered that a lot, and I realize what he's describing for us is a closed system. There is no means or mechanism in nature that allows for something to follow after itself in a different form. One fruit possesses the seed for the next generation of fruit. A fruit made genetically just like the original. And every subsequent generation of fruit and seed is exactly the same on and on and on and on. It's a closed system. The seed isn't to be changed or manipulated in some way. It carries within itself the means by which to replicate itself. The seed is in itself. When you take that concept of a closed system and you apply it to what we've been called to do, to sow the seed of the kingdom of God, you then begin to understand on the basis of that principle the importance of maintaining the purity of the word of God. Now, Paul was pretty keen on this idea of establishing churches, you know, and he went 
as that early church was doing under persecution, going everywhere preaching the gospel with the express purpose of establishing congregations of the Lord's people. And as he went everywhere preaching that same gospel in every location, churches were being replicated one right after the other. So the documents, the letters that you find written to one church, they were many times sent to other churches because every message inspired by God was applicable to every single other church that had been established. So strong was that that Paul describes himself as just one part of a work that God is doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's field. You are God's building. I want us to understand something about the idea of sowing with God's seed. Sometimes people will get the idea they want to begin a particular ministry or they have imagined something that they think will be attractive to a mass of people. They'll promote it. They'll make all the planning, try to cover all the ends, dot the I's and cross the T's. And then after the thing is practically already planned out and managed, then they'll get together and ask God to bless it. I want you to understand that that isn't, that isn't the mechanism of God. God is not standing by waiting to join us in a work to his glory. God has called us to participate with him in a work he's already established. So in this text, Paul says, you know what? When I went out there and I was establishing these congregations, I, I was not trying to gather up disciples for myself. This was not my idea. And Apollos, when he worked in these local churches, he wasn't trying to get a following of disciples for himself. He was simply participating as I am in the work of God. When good comes from that, it is to God's glory. All of us are just participants in a work that God has established. And as goes the principle of the thing, it was established from the very beginning. So God's plan that is workable in the first place continues to be workable generation after generation after generation because God's planning, very different from us, God's planning is always perfect. Now, you probably know from your study of the scriptures that even in the first century, now, this is within the time of the establishment of the church. Within the first century, you had people coming along trying to teach different doctrines. Was that going to work? You know, was God just going to come along and say, well, you know what, they're doing good work. I'll, I'll go with that. No. Here's what Paul had to say about it. Galatians chapter 1, 
Verse 6 and following. He said, I marvel that you are turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But whether we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I also said before, now I say again, if anyone preach any other gospel than that which I have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now stop right there. Do you get the idea that Paul was okay <laughs> with, with this change in the gospel? That, that Paul was okay with a perverted gospel? The answer is no. That's the first century. Paul comes off very strongly, doesn't he? If you're going down that route, you're under the curse of God. God intended for people to join him in his work, not the other way around. Now, as you have this coming together and, and all, the, all of the desire and the design that comes forth, you have to realize that when I commit myself to the preaching of the gospel or for us, according to our, our little series here, I'm going to commit myself to sowing the seed, then I know that there is only one seed, using the principle of nature, I know that there is only one seed that is going to result in the development of a disciple named a Christian. Let's go back to what Jesus described. Jesus established this plan for the salvation of man by God's authority. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Okay, so you go and preach this gospel. I want you to make disciples as a result of their obedience to the gospel. When you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When you've done that, don't stop. You're going to teach them to continue to do the same thing. Get that? So what seed was planted with you, when that bears fruit, I want you then to take that very same seed and plant it in the next generation. Paul said that, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A continuing generation of handling the word of God, unadulterated, unchanged, unperverted, from one generation to the next. Beautiful it is that we have the Bible that we can measure each generation's subsequent attention to it. We can measure the message that they preach against the revealed word that most of us have at least one copy, if not many copies of. There's no excuse for anybody in this generation to preach a gospel that is different from what we find revealed in the scriptures. Well, why is that so important? Because that message is the seed that results in a matter of salvation in the heart of the recipient. That whole series, that discussion, that parable in Luke chapter 8 is a description of what that seed does in a heart. 
when that seed finally is accepted by the hearer and acted upon, it will result in salvation. Paul was so keen on that idea that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why would you put so much emphasis on the crucifixion, Paul? Well, it's because it is that matter that directly bears on the gospel message itself. Later in this very same book, in chapter 15, he tells us what the gospel is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you have received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I don't want to preach anything else among you. Why? Because obedience to that gospel results in salvation. You say, well, Ken, how do you obey facts like that? And Paul talks about that too in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In verse 7 he says that he who has died, and that's death in the semblance of the death of Jesus in baptism, he who has died has been freed from sin. Question, when are my sins forgiven? In baptism. And then verses 17 and 18 of that text, he says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The gospel saves us from our sin. In fact, Romans 1 and verse 16, very opening of that same book, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you and I are sowing the seed, we need to be absolutely certain that as the sower went forth to sow his seed, which was the word of God, Luke chapter 8, verse 11, we do the same thing. Be sure that we are sowing the right seed. But also, we need to sow much seed. And I cannot stress this enough. Much seed. Why do I need to sow much seed, Ken? Because Matthew chapter 13 and verse 38 says that the field, the place where we're planting the seed, the field is the world. Well, how big is the world? <laughs> we are supposed to be planting seeds. Well, now the number keeps going up. But we're supposed to be planting seeds in 8 billion people. Do you know a way to do it except to do a lot of it? <laughs> I don't. So you and I have got to be committed and have the mindset that we are going to be sowing much seed. 
Now, Ken, remind me, what is this sowing seed? I'm taking the Word of God, and I'm going to plant that in somebody's heart. And then my goal is to continue doing that. An abundance of it. Okay, we talked about a principle in Scripture as regards the plant world in Genesis 1 that applied to this process. There's another principle. And it's, it's so simple, it's, it, you know, and except that the Bible said it, I guess we need to re-emphasize it. But it's stated actually in another context, but the principle is the same in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. It says that he who sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap how? Bountifully. Now, do you understand that principle? If you don't, if you don't plant a lot of seed, you're not going to get a lot of fruit. If you plant just a little bit of fruit, you can expect to only get a little bit. Now, if we've got 8 billion people to save, it seems to me that we need to sow, not sparingly, we need to sow with great abundance. Does that make sense? You say, well, Ken, you know what? Even if we expended our whole life, we would not be able to reach the whole world. How do we know that? With all the technology and things that we have to do. Here's what I, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to think I'm crazy as a lunatic right here. But I'm telling you that this church right here, if it had the mind to, if it had the idea, we're not doing this sparingly. We are doing it with great abundance. I believe that you and I, as the Lord's church, could reach the whole world in our generation. I believe that is absolutely true. And I'm not talking about joining with the other congregations in places. I'm saying we could do that if we set our mind to it. And the reason why is because we would not set forth and say, okay, here's our big plan, blah, 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 blah. Lord, then come on and help us. What? Stop. God's already on this job. God has called for people to come help. Well, can we, to the man, to the woman, say... I'm doing this thing in great abundance. You know, I am sowing the seed. I am taking the gospel to all my friends and neighbors and on it. No, I can't even say that with 100% diligence, I do that. So I'm pretty sure that all through the body, very few can say with an assurance and no shame or guilt at all that I'm doing all I can. All of us can do more. In fact, all of us, most of us, can do a lot more. You say, well, you know what? We, you know, we get fired up once in a while, and we get going, and then we just get discouraged. Whose fault is that? That is not God's fault. Here's how I know that. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. I know that if I will continue to do it, if I won't give up, I will reap. I also know, like 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, that if we'll be steadfast, immovable, we'll always be abounding in the work of the Lord. It's just a mindset. Am I ready to sow much 
seed or not. You say, Ken, I'm ready to sow the seed, brother. I am ready. Just point me in the right direction. Okay, well, let's think about this for a minute. Sowing effective seed. Whoops. Now, Ken, don't mess with the seed. The seed is to be unadulterated. The seed is the Word of God. We're not changing it. So what do you mean effective seed? Seed all by itself. It's already effective. It does its thing. Paul said it's the power of God to salvation. What are you, what are you suggesting? Whoa, hold your horses. I'm not suggesting that part at all. I'm saying, yeah, the seed is effective. But maybe we're not very effective. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean that... Oftentimes, the mechanism, the means by which we sow that seed, there are very effective ways to do it, and there are some not-so-effective ways. The seed is the same. Sometimes I become the hindrance. Here's what people say. Well, you know what, Ken? We might not be able to reach 8 billion people, but our idea is we're going to go for quality, not for quantity. Okay, stop. Quality is not our job. Quality is in the seed. The seed is perfect. God's word is perfect and it's powerful, able to save souls if it's distributed in the proper way. So there's nothing wrong with the quality, which only leaves one aspect of that thing you laid out there, and that is the quantity. Guess who's, in resp- who's responsible for that? Oops. <laughs> Point your finger right here. Well, not just me. Point it at you. <laughs> We're responsible for quantity. We carry it and go out to the whole world. That was our job. God gave us the message that saves. His son died so that our sins could be washed away. God's got the quality. Our responsibility is the quantity. Okay, so what would be some effective ways to carry the seed which is perfect for saving men's souls? What would be some effective ways of doing it? I want to I start back with some things that are obvious, and I'm sure I, you know, I'm not thinking of everything. So since you and I, we're, we're in this together, I'm going to name some things and then... As I'm doing it, you be thinking of things that you think would be also effective. And let's just brainstorm for a few minutes. One thing that is pretty apparent in the scriptures is that sharing the gospel by word of mouth is effective. And that is one-on-one. When a friend shares the gospel with another friend, that is effective. That's what they did, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. When they left Jerusalem, what did they did? They went everywhere preaching the word. And here's, here's another thing. I don't know if you've noticed this before. You know that text, Matthew 28, verse 19, and also the same word is used in Mark 16, verse 15, where it says, go into all the world or go therefore and make disciples. The word go right there is not a direct command. It is a present participle. The command is to make the disciples. You are commanded to make the disciples. The idea of the present participle is this. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. In other words, it's not like we pick a day and we say, that day is the day I'm going to go and I'm going to 
preach the gospel. I'm going to go on a mission trip. The command is to make the disciples as you are going. Okay, here's a question for you. When are you going? <laughs> Say, well, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to see so-and-so in another state. I'm going on vacation. I'm going, I'm going. Here's the whole idea about discipleship and sowing seed. We do it as we are going. Not just when we booked a mission trip to go to a foreign country or to go off some depressed place where we're going to have a VBS and a gospel meeting and build up the church. It is as you are going. Constantly ask yourself, am I going? <laughs> if you are going, then you are supposed to, as a disciple, be making disciples. It's like, well, I don't want to talk about what? We're going to be talking about it because that is our life. That's what we do. We're not asking God to bless what we do. We're trying to participate with God in a massive effort to save souls. So one of the best ways, biblically, is by word of mouth. Another way that it's described, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, is when they went into the temple, which was a public place, and they went from house to house. Okay, you can preach publicly. Now, I don't know how effective that is today. I've seen some people preaching on the corners of streets, and I'll just be honest, it looks crazy to me. And so I can't hardly picture myself doing it, but hey, peace, if that's you, uh, all power to you. But there are ways to publicly do it. You know what we were doing several months ago when we had services out here in the parking lot? I mean, was that public or what? We got big speakers out blaring and kids preaching and yelling through the whole neighborhood. Yeah, we had cars parked, but I re I'll never forget that first Sunday, Ben Roberts saying, well, Brother Ken, we didn't even have to open the windows in our house to listen to you preach. And I was like, first I thought, huh, maybe we need to have James turn that down. But then the second thing I thought was, all right. Don't even have to open the windows to hear it. That's great. That's public. Uh, the house-to-house -house part. I've heard people, so many places say, you know what, you can't go door-knocking anymore. People slam the blah, blah, blah. You know what, we did door-knocking in Somerdale as, as an effort to invite people to come to a spring uh, gathering. Okay, for our community, so we could introduce ourselves to that church. So a handful of us, myself and two other people, went door knocking through the entire area of Somerdale and Foley, just the three of us. And we had, now, Somerdale was a congregation of about 200 people. We had 600 of our neighbors show up on that Saturday. We had to park them out in the pecan orchard in order to handle the crowds. It was amazing. Somebody says, well, that is a waste of time. Don't tell me that. It was not a waste of time. People responded, and they got to meet us. And I hope, that we, I hope we made a good impression on our community. But that's a, way, that's a way to do it, no doubt about it. Some of you are letter writers. I've got a book. It's written by a friend of mine. Annette Ellenberg, it's called I Wrote a Letter Today. And that book is all about letter writing 
and how it impacts the life of somebody else. How more could you impact somebody than writing a letter that contains within it the means for their salvation? Man, I don't know of anything better than that. And then, of course, the scriptures are that, right? Most of the New Testament is basically letters that were written to churches reminding them of the salvation that they had and how valuable it was and how they need to live in light of that. Sometimes letter writing is very, very powerful. I know we use radio and television and we support a television program in, in our area. I've worked in Somerdale with Billy Lambert on Getting to Know Your Bible and that program went into countries all over the world. We can do it by picking up a telephone and calling somebody. And we can do it lately, right? We had this pandemic. Oh, we can't meet, so we're going to stay in our homes. But that also opened up an avenue by which not only were we fed, but that message could go everywhere. And by the way, and uh, Jeremy can correct me uh, about this, but I, I understand that like when we put something on Facebook, we put it on our, our site or whatever. When you share that or you like that, then that multiplies its distribution. That means you now have become connected with it and all the friends that you have can now be contacted. And every time somebody likes or shares that, here we go with a message that multiplies. It becomes exponential. You have no idea how far that message will go if you'll just hit that share or that like button. Jeremy, did I do that kind of right? It's powerful. And it's not, you know, I, <laughs> I, I am not that guy who goes to the site and says, oh, how many did it? How many likes did it get? Oh, no, they didn't like. No. But what I'm thinking is, even, even as ratty as some of the stuff I put out there might be, it's possible that somebody might connect with that out there in the world somewhere. Now, I don't have enough. I don't have 8 billion followers. I know you're shocked. I think you're limited to 6,000 anyway. But, but if all of us combined all of our friends and then their friends and their friends and their, you see how that goes? Simply as a result of just like. And if you have to hold your nose... <laughs> have to hold your nose to like it, you are still impacting somebody's life with that connection. Okay, we have one minute. <laughs> uh, anybody, is there anything you are thinking of that really is pretty obvious that would be a great mechanism or method for carrying the Word of God out there? Now, understand... All of these things have nothing to do with the seed. We're not messing with the seed. The seed's perfect. What we're trying to do is find a vehicle to carry that seed somewhere. Any, any ideas out there? Absolutely. Listen, you say, I don't know how I would sit down with somebody and do a Bible study. <laughs> okay, Marilyn, can you take a full Bible study and put it in an envelope and send it to somebody? You can. How hard is that?
just it just like you say, when one gets it, then another one gets it, another one gets it, another one gets it. Yeah, now, now tell me if this isn't true, because I, I know this is true in the South Pacific work. Like, you will have somebody request a Bible study. You'll send it to them. They'll either make copies, or they'll send you back addresses so you can send it to all their friends. Time's up, but I want to mention one other thing, and that is our track rack back there. Did you know we had one? We have a big one. It's full of tracks. Now, you may not know how to discuss particular subjects that come up with your friends. You may not. I'm just about going to guarantee you that, especially generally, there are subjects in that track rack that you would benefit from. And all you got to, here, here's what you have to, have to walk up that track rack. You choose a track. You just pull it out with your fingers. God gave you those fingers. Pull those out. You have now taken possession of a lesson. You can learn that yourself or you could just carry it with you and hand that off to somebody. And I, I, don't, I don't ever just want to speak for the elders, but I'm, I'm pretty confident as a member of the mission team, that if we run out of tracks, which I hope we will every week, let's run out of tracks every week, okay? Because we're handing them out. If we do that, we'll restock it. Does that sound about right, Jim? Wouldn't we do that? Okay, Tommy, we good? He's, they said yes. So let's empty those track racks, right? We can be spreading the seed in some... And if you're catching my vision here now, which is God's vision of winning this world, you already see, I hope, just by means of exponential contact that we truly could reach the whole world. Let's have a prayer, and then you're going to go forth to sow seed. Okay? Nod your head this way. Okay. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings and for your word and for your encouragement. And thank you, thank you for making... Salvation so easy for us. It was, it was unspeakably difficult for you, but you have made it so accessible for every living soul of all time. Lord, so many of us here in this room tonight have benefited from that. So motivate us to be a part of your plan to save other people. Help us to understand that we have a responsibility to take this seed and to plant it somewhere. And not just to plant a seed, but to plant much seed. And to find mechanisms by which to carry it out. To be effective in that. Thank you, Lord, for how you will bless us as we are trying to work with you in your plan to save this world. In Jesus' name, amen.